You've discovered TalkZone.com, the best in Internet talk radio. Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Some might say these are challenging times to be a parent of young children in a world seemingly filled with threats. And now, experts say some of the old rules, such as don't talk to strangers, may be passe. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey has this surprising story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. After what seems like an unending wave of high-profile child abductions in the past few years, what should parents be telling their children to keep them safe? You might think the time-honored warning, don't talk to strangers, would be the best advice, but a lot of experts say no. Teresa Jacobs is the program manager for the Jacob Wetterling Foundation, which is an advocacy group based in Minnesota. Teresa, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you. So you say the stranger danger approach, that is telling kids don't talk to strangers, actually puts kids at risk. Tell us about that. Lots of kids can't really tell the difference between who is an okay stranger and who's a dangerous stranger. So that, you know, parents might say to their children, don't talk to strangers, but then they'll take them into the grocery store and ask them to say hello to the clerk. Or they'll introduce them to friends and say, this is my friend, you should say hello, or When you get on the school bus this morning for the first time, say hi to the school bus driver. So it really sort of clouds the issue for kids so that they aren't sure who's an okay stranger and who's a dangerous, potentially stranger. The other issue is that actually most children are victimized by someone that they know. In fact, 80 to 90% of the time, people who harm children are known to the child. So this whole idea of stranger danger really is a message that only works for 10 to 20% of the cases, and we're leaving our kids vulnerable for the rest of the time when it's much more likely that someone they know might hurt them. What you're describing was actually uh, in the news not that long ago when a a 10- or 11-year-old boy was lost in the mountains and was afraid to uh, approach rescuers who were searching for him, right? Yes. Brennan Hawkins in Utah was missing and was actually being searched for in the woods for I think it was almost three days. And he had hidden from the rescuers because he was told not to talk to strangers and he was afraid. And actually, you know, as a parent, that's sort of your worst nightmare. And I'm sure his parents thought, I can't believe it, because obviously he's at more risk wandering around the woods than he is asking one of the rescuers for help. So I think that really started off the discourse about this topic, like, oh, you can't tell your kids not to talk to strangers, what should you tell them to do? So let's get to some practical advice here. How can parents or kids identify potential abusers or abductors? You know, we actually spend a lot more time talking to kids and parents about how to identify potentially dangerous situations rather than potentially dangerous people because there are some sort of myths around this, and we spend a lot of time talking about myths and realities, so sort of the myth that strangers are the people that hurt your children, when in reality it's people known to your children. The other myth is that it's adults who hurt children, and in fact, about 50% of the time, people who hurt children are themselves juveniles. So you can imagine that that would completely challenge this notion of being able to look out into the world and identify people who might potentially hurt you. So what we ask kids and parents to do is really focus on situations that may feel unsafe rather than discerning between people who may be safe or unsafe. 
Now, what kind of situations should folks be aware of then? We are big proponents of the what-if game, is what we call it. It's actually spending time with your kids, even your teenage kids, and asking them what would they do in a variety of situations. So with a young child or even an older child, what would you do if we were separated in a shopping mall and you looked around and you couldn't find me? Who would you go for for help? What steps would you take? How would you make sure that you're safe? Because that's a potentially unsafe situation when you have a child who needs assistance and their parents aren't around. Similarly, with your teenagers, you can say, what would you do if you went to someone's house, you thought you were going to have a good time and hang out, and suddenly it was a very uncomfortable situation. Somebody has drugs, maybe they have alcohol, something like that, and you're not feeling very safe in that situation. Things could potentially go wrong. What would you do? So we really ask parents to spend time talking to their kids, really getting a feel for how their kids problem solve and how they think and then sort of redirecting some of that thinking to make sure that they're actually making safe choices. It sounds like this is not a one-time conversation, but an ongoing thing. Absolutely. I think that's sort of the appeal of the stranger danger message, is it feels like you can teach your children this one simple, encapsulated message, you know, just don't talk to strangers, and then everything will be taken care of. But the truth is that this is a conversation that involves all kinds of different topics, you know, safety, sometimes it involves discussions about sexuality, and then just peer relationships and bullying and, you know, general self-esteem. So you can imagine with all of those topics coming into your child's general personal safety, it really does require a lot of time. And we encourage parents to do it at times that are non-threatening, so not when the the family's watching the news and there's some sort of scary story on TV and you know you turn to your child and say, we want to make sure this doesn't happen to you, so you need to know X, Y, and Z. Instead, do it when you're driving home in the car and you have 10 minutes where you're just with each other. You know, Put down the cell phone, turn off the radio, and just talk. Find out what they think and how they feel. We're talking with Teresa Jacobs, the program manager for the Jacob Wetterling Foundation, which is a child advocacy group based in Minnesota. Teresa, would it still be appropriate to use that don't talk to strangers advice when it applies to the Internet? Our rules about the Internet generally are that you tell kids never to share personal information about themselves or anyone else, for that matter, over the Internet. So personal information is not just your name and your phone number, but also the name of your school, whether or not you play soccer or you're a cheerleader, what mall you like to hang out, all of that kind of information can add up pretty quickly to being able to identify a single person. So that's number one. Number two, we tell kids never to agree to meet anyone that they know from the Internet in person without their parents or their caregiver with them. And I think that's important. If you tell kids just don't do it ever, then you're, I think, less likely sometimes to get them to comply with that. If you say, okay, if this is something you really have to do, the deal is you have to bring me with you, then I think sometimes it can nip that in the bud and really get them thinking about it. And the other thing we ask them to do is to always report any sort of scary or confusing or sexually explicit emails that they receive. And I think that's a really important step 
one quarter of kids have been exposed to sexually explicit material online and have been solicited online. So it's really important to help them know what to do when that happens. So if parents don't tell their kids, don't talk to strangers, is there any kind of time-honored advice that they can give their kids? You know, I think there are lots of rules, and definitely visit our website, jwf.org, to see these rules. But one that we really like, and it works for parents and for kids, is to always, always trust your instincts. And a great parent example of that is you find a babysitter for your kids, but something just doesn't feel right about that person. And so you contemplate maybe installing a camera or something along those lines. We really want to encourage parents at that point to trust your instincts, go ahead and let that person go, and just start over again. Don't wait to find that something actually is going on that you don't approve of. You don't need to wait for that. You can trust your instincts ahead of time. And it's okay that if you're wrong. You know, the point is that you and your kids need to feel comfortable. And that's likewise with kids. You really need to reinforce to them that their well-being is always most important. So if something doesn't feel right, if somebody's watching them when they're playing in the playground, Another adult just makes them feel uncomfortable. They don't want to be touched by that person. You teach your kids to always trust their instincts, even if it means that they might seem rude to another adult. Because what's most important first is that their instincts are telling them something doesn't feel right. So I think that's kind of a really good message that works for a whole family. Very good advice. Teresa Jacobs from the Jacob Wetterling Foundation. Do you have a website where folks can get additional information? We do. It's www.jwf, like Jacob Wetterling Foundation, dot org. All right, Teresa, thank you for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks.